Dolomiti Sound Stories. Proprio tempo da lupi oggi. Sono Gaspari Franco, sono una guida alpina di Cortina d'Ampezzo. I'm Franco Gaspari, I'm a mountain guide from Cortina d'Ampezzo. I've always been a history buff and passionate about every era, from the ancient Romans to the present day. Here I'm one of the few guides who knows the history of the First World War very well because I've read many books about the war. After the centenary of the First World War, there was a boom in publications. I take clients who are very interested in the war to somewhat hidden places, not very touristy, where episodes that they read in books about the war actually took place. For example, there's this coffee shack. It's an Austrian wooden shack where Italians and Austrians met to play cards and drink coffee, despite being enemies. People read the story of the coffee shack in some books, so they want to go there and they want to see it. The coffee shack, it's extremely difficult to reach, you have to climb to get there. But when I bring someone who really wanted to see the shack there, you can really tell he's happy and feels fulfilled. There are many places to visit for First World War enthusiasts, my history buff clients. As many places like this as you want. In this area we used to have the front that basically surrounded the whole land. The town was abandoned because the valley was so wide that it was difficult to defend, so the Austrians had entrenched themselves on the mountains surrounding Cortina. So the front actually made a turn north of Cortina and there are still many traces of that on all the mountains of Cortina. There are places still with a lot of stuff, these kind of places where the average tourist doesn't go are half hidden. There are still many things to be found. They brought a lot of material in two years of war. Many things are still buried under the ground. And now with these intensive storm phenomena that turn the soil, create gullies, move paths, a lot of times things pop up. I've never found anything dangerous so far. I've found these lead pellets and some shell casings. A few bullets, let's say, I've never found any unexploded bombs. Well, if I'll happen to find something like that, I have friends, the police, the Alpine rescue. I'll inform them and then they'll deal with it. I'll give them the location so they can go on site. In short, rather than a bomb, I'd prefer soldier's stuff. 
I'm really passionate about it. Buttons, for example. Years ago, I found a needle thread thimble kit to fix the uniform. It was a really exciting moment, much more exciting than finding a bomb. Millions of bombs have been fired. So yes, the ordinary things that were a part of a soldier's life are more personal. They have something to say. They're less cold. The bombs killed, but these things here didn't. terra ladina ha una grossa ferita che è quella della grande guerra. The Ladin land has a deep wound which is of course the great war. The front line passes straight through this area and there were scenes of horrific battles and the death of many a soldier here. All the families in the area have in their history the tragic events of the great war. And They have passed them down to their children and grandchildren, who are still alive, despite a hundred years having gone past. These lands are particularly marked by the war, also because the Great War meant, for many, the crossing over to Italy. And so from the Austria-Hungary Empire, patron for a very long time, to a new state that, it's true, was on the border, It was known particularly in Cortina d'Ampezzo that German wasn't ever spoken to tell the truth. The language spoken was either Italian or Ladin Ampezzan, but it was still an enemy state for which they fought until not long before. And the Ampezzan people enlisted to fight were among the lines of men, naturally for the Austro-Hungarian army. And so this wound, doubly so for the war itself, but also for the passage to a new state, is perhaps, has perhaps healed for the generation like mine, but is still strongly felt in the hearts of those of a certain age. Stories are many. I will mention two, which are connected to my family. The first is of my great-grandfather Sisto, who was recruited for the Austrian-Hungarian army, and who, in 1914, found himself in the Intraisash fort, Intraisash means in amongst the stones, and effectively there, beyond the Falzarago path, towards Falparola, there are many masses, and it's literally a fort that rises out above the rocks. My great-grandfather was there, and he was asked to go out from the fort to collect some water and perhaps a bit of wood. Once he was quite a way away from the fort, he suddenly heard a massive bang, and it was the Italians who had bombed the fort, and they had pretty much destroyed it. My grandfather, in his incredibly lucky situation of having found himself far from the fort, was able to tell this news in a letter to his fiancée Emma, my great-grandmother. And he was able to return home to the village after the events of the war and get married. My father is called Sisto, and my sister is called Emma.
Siamo entrati dal cortile che appunto è diciamo la piazza d'armi. We got in from the courtyard which was the parade ground and then we entered the corridors which lead to the dormitories. They are these large, huge rooms that today don't have mezzanines because everything that was removable was taken away in the years after the war. Here we have these big rooms, which then lead to some tunnels. Along this tunnel, right here at the end, there are these dovecots, we could call them like that, which are actually these niches that were supposed to store soldiers' coffins, the coffins of fallen soldiers. This fort, however, was never actually in use. It was evacuated during the first days of the war because it was already obsolete and therefore probably wouldn't have withstood the fire of the heavy Italian artillery. So in the end, it was only used as a sort of infantry stronghold without ever really being hit. So here, there have never been any real battles. I'm Curti Covi. I'm from San Candido. I studied history at university and I've always been interested in history and culture in general. Here we are in the Landro Valley. We're at 1,400 meters above sea level, and we're actually in the place in which there was the front line more than 100 years ago. So now we're inside the Landro Fort, a former Austrian fort, which was a stronghold of the front line at the time. It's located in this beautiful spot. You see the peaks from here. The Cristallo group is just in front of it. Really beautiful. Today it seems kind of strange that there was even a war here. Here in front of this fort we have a grove with piles of stones and which until the first days of the Great War was a luxury resort. Today it would be a seven or ten stars resort. It was called the Pau Hotel. It was one of the most modern in all the Alps. It had a post office, telephones and electricity in the rooms before the First World War, so before 1915. This hotel is a symbol of an era that ended with the outbreak of the First World War. This is the first boost in tourism that the Dolomites have had since the second half of the 18th century, when tourism slowly became an important economic factor in this area. Here we had an elite kind of tourism that included European nobility, but also the bourgeoisie and the great industrialists who came here looking for an adventure high up in the mountains and climbing. Back then, climbing was like today's extreme sports, like bungee jumping. 
And so that boosted tourism and also changed our region economically and socially. All of this came to an end with the outbreak of the Great War. It's an interesting, let's say, image, this hotel being blown up. In this case, by the Austrians themselves, because it obstructed the artillery firing range here at the Landro Fort, where we are now. After these war events, the Landro Fort, let's say, was abandoned. When I was a kid, I used to come up here with my friends to explore this place. It has always been a mysterious and fascinating spot. There are tunnels, small ravines. There are also some funny stories about this place. On this fort, there's a large cross, for example. In fact, even the locals still now call it Old Hospital or the Old Lazaret. But in reality, it has never been a lazaret. The cross was placed here in the 50s because there was a movie set for a Hollywood blockbuster, A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway. They used this location to shoot some scenes set in a lazaret, and that's why they needed to put the cross. So even Hollywood has been here. Today, the plan is to bring this place back to life. Let's see if we can put together a medium-term project to tell what I just told you to even, let's say, a bigger audience. Mi scusi, Capitano. Sono salito a dare un'occhiata. Le nostre linee sono qua sotto. Il nemico è su quell'altura davanti a noi. Fuoco! Facendo la guida escursionistica era messo in programma dalle guide alpine di visitare l'Opera 10. Being an excursion guide, it was amongst the plan of the Alpine guides to visit the construction number 10. On the Monte Croce Trail, there are 15 constructions, which are military forts, and the number 10 is the most impressive of all. It's built into the Soro Colse, where there is the mountain house of the Monte Croce Trail, and it's three stories high. So, I'm off to visit the construction. I arrive at the entrance, and you really have to climb over it to get inside. I go into the bunker, and not knowing where it will take me, I start the trail. But, at a certain point, I say, Gosh, it's really dark in here. And there is only the sound of the wind. Where is right and where is left? I was getting lost. But somehow I have to get out of here because I was already having nightmares and I was also scared. My heart was racing. I had horrible thoughts in that tunnel. Luckily, after a while, I see the exit from the bunker. And what did I do? I didn't go back. I went out from there because I was terrified. I went all the way round to get my backpack that I'd left at the entrance of the bunker. I said, there, it didn't go well because in the end, I wasn't able to see anything. It was pitch black and I was scared. On the second go, I took my friends. I say, come with me, together it's better. And so I took them all up there. 
They all said I was crazy for going in there on my own. But I had to do it. And so I took them and I showed them construction number 10. The tunnels, which are actually 800 meters of tunnel, two parallel corridors. It's enormous. It's constructed perfectly. Even where the dining room and kitchen are, there are tiles built in. It was perfect. It was really amazing what they were able to do. Because it's perfection. This bunker is perfect. But it was never used. It was only in prevention of the Second World War. But later, the question always arises, why? When I was a kid, I was in a group of people looking for war finds. We went around the mountains to see some finds. Kids get passionate about these war things. So I traveled around the area a lot. My parents weren't really happy about this hobby of mine because every now and then I came home with some dangerous objects. My dad always threw them into the river that we have near here, the Filizon. I used to go up to the mountains with the other kids before turning 14. Thinking about it now, I realized that we really took a risk because we went to inaccessible places. We didn't have any kind of mountaineering knowledge. So it was a real adventure. Finding these tunnels, the finds, there was so much stuff still to be discovered. For example, once I discovered an intact tunnel in an area north of Cortina. I made the discovery because a hole had opened in the ground and I jumped in it. I ended up in a gigantic cave and all the beds were still there. There were the crates of ammunition and other things. But as kids, we were kind of stupid, so... The most important thing for us was taking away the ammunition, so we took all the ammunition away, and after that we buried it in a meadow. I don't even remember where anymore. But there we found also some very beautiful ceramic pipes with Franz Josef on them, but we gave very little importance to those things like water bottles, tins and so on. For us little boys, the most exciting things were weapons. With the weapons, perhaps you feel more like a man. That's what a weapon does, actually. Well, I still have the ceramic pipes at home. All I have left are those and some water bottles, and they're really beautiful. I'm in my 60s now, so I've met veterans. My grandmother, for example, she was 14 during the First World War, together with other girls from Cortina. She wrote letters for the Italian soldiers because they were all illiterate and they'd give food in exchange for the letters. Italians had plenty of food. They had a lot of stuff, while up here people were starving and therefore they were paid with food. My grandmother told me about these inconsistencies of the poor Italian soldiers who were going around saying, we came to free you from the barbarians. Then my grandmother would reply, if you are all illiterate, who is the most barbaric? And then the Italian soldiers said that behind the Mount Cristallo there was Vienna. 
The ignorance was frightening. My grandmother even once told me that an Italian soldier asked her, what's the name of your pope who's in Vienna? To which my grandmother replied, no, look, our pope is in Rome. And the Italian soldier kept saying, no, our pope is in Rome, not yours. Can you imagine? <sighs> and that was only a hundred years ago. It's not like we're talking about prehistory. However, these are truly beautiful stories. Really sad, though. And when the Italians left in November 1917, they actually ran away and the Austrians practically came back for a year. So when the Austrians did come back, my grandfather, who was a boy at the time, was captured by the Carabinieri, the Italian police, and taken to Italy because otherwise if he stayed there, the Austrians would have put a uniform on him. So all the kids from here born in 1899, 1898, who were too young to join the military in 1917, were taken to Italy to work. My grandfather worked in a factory in Novara, a factory that made screws for airplanes. In short, he spent a year and a half in Italy as a refugee. While the girls all stayed here, my grandmother told me that was a year of hunger for them, as the Austrian army no longer had anything to eat. That's because of the embargo that the English had placed on the central powers. It had reduced them to starvation. War is a life of hunger. Another story that belongs to my family and to the Great War is about my great-great-grandfather Tony Dale, Antonio Di Mai, a super-famous guide in Cortina d'Ampezzo, and who, amongst others, took up many peaks, Alberto, the King of the Belgians. And he was already of a certain age at the outbreak of the First World War. He was almost 50 years old, and so at first wasn't recruited to be in the army. He had a family, he had eight children, and he was too elderly. But one day, some Italian officials present in the area came to his house to ask him a favor. In return, he would be greatly recompensated. They wanted him, with his knowledge and expertise in the field and his skills in the mountains, to lead some men from the Alpini Corps up the Tofano di Rozze, where the front line passes, to fight with the Austrians. Naturally, Tony Deo declined this offer, in premise because he was a citizen of the Habsburg Empire, and because he was being asked to take the enemy, the Italian Alpini Corps, to fight against his fellow countrymen and villagers. 
A questo rifiuto eh, seguirono una serie di problemi per Tonedeo. After declining the offer followed a series of problems for Tonedeo. First of all, he was imprisoned in Cortina. His hand was beaten, perhaps so as he could no longer carry out his profession as an Alpine guide, as he did before. And he was kept in Florence for two years, away from his family, who didn't know what had happened to him. Only thanks to the intervention of the King of the Belgians, who was a trusted client of his, because with Tony Deo he had climbed many, many peaks in the Dolomites, was he able to return after two years to the village and reunite with his family. In the village, people say that the Italians, after the offer my great-great-grandfather Tony Deo received, asked another person, an expert alpine guide from Cortina d'Ampezzo, and who, in the end, had accepted the offer and had led the Alpini Corp on the Tofano di Rozzes. This event, naturally, was lived for the Ampezzan community like a great brutale to its people. And the Alpine guide spent his life, perhaps not a prisoner like Tony Deo, but definitely unhappy in a village that didn't love him anymore. The war, like every war, ripped families apart, friendships, relationships with people, and certain wounds are still healing today. This is a particular place, it's right on the border between two cultures, in a border area where German is spoken, Italian is spoken, and we find ourselves in a place that was located exactly on the front line of the Great War more than a hundred years ago. Where the war once took place, where people fought, today people come to spend their free time, to ski, to go for walks in the summer, and this is a very good thing. So, where once we fought and died, today is a place for meeting and being together. Therefore, war tourism, which is cultural tourism, can be seen and addressed, let's say, in a positive way. It can only help to strengthen this European spirit that should distinguish us all. This long tunnel takes to the upper part of the fort. It connects these two blocks. That's actually interesting because in a very short time you get through a relevant difference in altitude without even noticing it. And when you emerge, you realize how much this difference is. The view from here is truly amazing. 
Eh, questa era la batteria superiore, vedi qua c'erano i cannoni dentro proprio nel tetto. This was the top battery. Do you see here? There were cannons right inside the roof. It's raining today, but from here you get a wonderful view of Mount Cristallo. Dolomiti Sound Stories is a voice production for Dolomiti Superski. Narrator Voices, Margherita Menardi and Ulrike Inerkofler. Director, Gianluca Stazzi and Paolo Barberi. Original Music, Gianluigi Gallo. Sound and Post-Production, Gianluca Stazzi. Editing and Additional Post-Production, Alessio Abeli. Editorial Support, Elisa Cozzolino. Producers, Andrea Maltagliati and Giovanna Surace. English Dubbers, Beth McCreeton and Marco Quaglia.